This is The Bubble. Episode, nope, we're not doing episodes anymore, but we're at 24, I don't know, we're at 24. I am Montana Samuels, he is Mike Bonner, and we are here to discuss something that Mike has been covering for quite some time now, uh, which is the fishing scene, fishing industry in New Bedford. There's some big news, some breaking news perhaps at this point? Well, if you're clicking on this, you probably already understand what's happening, but we thought to do something a little different on The Bubble today, usually we don't kind of report on breaking news no but uh the ground fishing ban that has kept about 80 fishermen out of work that was implemented by noaa on november 20th it was lifted uh june 19th so almost one day shy of eight months exactly now june july 19th july 19th july oh you said june oh july 19th okay i was july 19th where eh, it doesn't matter okay so for context sake, I've been following the story uh, a little bit just because Mike is my friend and I click on his stories. <laughs> um, but for those of you who may have been following it loosely or not following it at all, Mike, do you want to sort of lay out a timeline? A timeline right here. It's funny you should ask. <laughs> I happen to have a timeline right here. I happen right to prepare a timeline. So November 20th, NOAA closes ground fishing operations in Sector 9. Right. And that has to do with uh, Carlos Rafael. Uh, right. It's associated with that. Basically, he's serving a 46-month prison sentence for falsifying fishing quota, and he belonged to Sector 9, which is a fishing division, kind of like the AL East or the NFC East, whatever you want to say. So that division, uh, his vessels comprised most of Sector 9. So Noah said, hey, you can't ground fish anymore uh, because we're not sure that there are measures in place that this won't happen again. Mm. So, this caught everyone off guard. It happened right before Thanksgiving. No one expected this. The Sector 9 people said, we just met with Noah. They said, we have a meeting scheduled for December. Where did this come from? Why are we doing this? The next date on my timeline is March 26th. Mm-hmm. Uh, discussions kind of went back and forth. There wasn't really seemingly anything happening. So, the... 55 vessels from Sector 9 moved to Sector 7. So they just went to a different division. Okay. The idea behind this was to allow the vessels to be able to lease quota because they said they couldn't do anything in Sector 9. Uh So, hey, let's go to a different one. April 18th at a uh, uh, a fishing council meeting in Mystic, Connecticut, which I covered, uh, the council decided that Sector 7's lease-only operation plan would not be approved and that 9 is now connected to 7. So you now have two sectors that were okay, not so being this, able to fish. So S- Sector 7 then was thrown into the ground fishing ban as well. Correct. Okay. Correct. Uh, and then April 24th, the sectors met with another governing agency called GARFO. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Greater Atlantic regional fishing office that's what i'm gonna it's it's something along that line okay uh and that was where the uh was estimated that about seventy two thousand pounds of fish was preventing this from all happening so basically the ban happened because they said this is what we think it can happen again we don't Mm -hmm. want it to happen again make sure you come up with rules that don't make it happen again and oh and by the way all of the overages that were misidentified you have to pay those back and okay. on April 24th, they said about 72,000 pounds of fish you need to repay, which okay. isn't that much uh, in the grand scheme of life. And now we arrive to 
July nineteenth. Or yesterday, today. July nineteenth today, today uh, where the the ban was lifted. It seems like a long process, and it was an extremely long process with not a lot of things happening between. Right. And so that that's sort of what I found interesting is there seemed like there was a lot of dead space where not that much was happening. Um, so my understanding and the entire thing is it was all on Noah. Okay. And sure, we have one side of the argument. We're only talking to the fishermen who are out of work, the right. shoreside businesses, uh, the mayor, Congressman Keating, Bill Keating, who has been really helpful throughout this entire process. Mm-hmm. But there's a reason why it's only been one side story because I have asked Noah multiple, 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 multiple times for comments. Right. And you get no comment. And when speaking to these fishermen in the sector sectors themselves, they say the same thing. Noah doesn't tell them anything. Right. So it really seemed like it, Noah was slowing this whole thing down. And actually, the congressman himself told me the same thing that like he was kind of in the dark for a lot of this because Noah okay. wouldn't talk to him. So I know Mayor John Mitchell spoke with the head of Noah and he said it was a one-way conversation because he would listen, mm-hmm. but he wouldn't say anything. So really, Noah kept everybody in the dark until today. Okay. And, and so from a, a couple of questions came from that. So about 80 fishermen belong to Sector 9. How many fishermen do you have an idea were in sector seven? And then what does that bring our total? I'm cu- so I'm curious. Yeah, that's a good question. It was more than 80. So what I'm curious about is how many new bed, how many like South Coast fishermen were affected by this ban directly? About do 80. we have an idea? Okay, about 80. And then a little bit more because of, you mentioned sector seven, probably about 10 vessels that would have been. Well, okay. no, because no, I mean. About about eighty. Let's say about eighty. About eighty. Okay. So one of the things I was really curious about when this came up in November, um, Richie Canastra spoke to the Fairhaven Board of Selectmen. And I was covering that meeting, and Richie Canastra is the co-owner of uh, the seafood auction in New Bedford, right? Base. So he had come to them asking for a letter of support to Noah, essentially, because you know Fairhaven, New Bedford, really connected. There were probably some Fairhaven fisher fishermen on the boats in Sector Nine. Um, what I was most curious about was what was, can you paint the picture of what the fishing industry in New Bedford looked like prior to the ban? Because all you sort of hear about is the fishing industry is not doing as well as it once was something like that. Was it in dire straits? Was it doing okay before the ban? Well, there are two, there are a number of, so commercial fishing, uh, it's, there's a lot going on, uh, because you have ground fishing, you have scallops, you have squid, you have crabs, you have all type of things within this one industry. It'd be like right. almost in a, in a way being like, how's the vegetable department at Shaw's doing? Okay, sure. There's a lot of vegetables in that thing. Right. So how would you you know say one thing? But so scallops are very healthy. The the fishery is very healthy um, because of SMAST, the School of Marine and Science Technology, and mm-hmm. UMass Dartmouth. They developed a camera that allows you to see how many scallops are actually in the water. Okay. Uh, so they can really create quota knowing how much is going to be there and what size they're going to be and everything like that. Okay. The ground fishing industry, not as healthy. Uh, really on the decline for a number of reasons that we don't even need to go into here because it's a whole... It's a, diff- it's a yeah, whole different there's thing. There's a lot of reasons why anything happens. and But the ground fishing industry was not as healthy. There's a reason why 
the port of New Bedford, the ma- strong majority are scallops that are landed here. That's why right. they're it's the most valuable port in the country because it lands the most scallops in the country. Right. Uh, but ground fishing, yeah, it was not a very stable uh, industry. A lot of young people who are becoming fishermen, they're not going to be ground fishermen because it's not it's not a good industry. It's right. not stable. Uh, if you're going to do it, there are other things to land. So yeah, before it it wasn't like it was a very stable right fishery, the ground fishing fishery. Sure. So obviously right now we you don't have the luxury of being able to look at a couple months back to ground fishing because this just happened. But if you if you're willing to sort of offer like a hypothesis about how detrimental this ban was to the ground fishing industry, do you have Oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, I actually wrote a story on um Okay the effects of it and uh it's so there's a number of ways it is detrimental and uh i'm trying to bring up the story now there's the fiscal Mm -hmm. you know what is what is the cost of this ban and when you look at fuel for example uh at bay fuels they are down a about a million gallons, probably more than that now, okay. uh, because of what happened uh, or what hasn't been happening. Sure. There hasn't, there's not a lot of uh, fish being landed, or not as much as there could be. Right. It's about 14 vessels that were okay. sidelined, uh, or 14 exactly, and at landings, landings at the auction, the fish auction, mm-hmm. are, are down about a quarter, so 25 percent. Okay, down. Um, the prices of fish has plummeted uh, from an average of about forty-five cents. Um, oh, by, oh, by an average of forty-five, forty-one cents. So mm-hmm. um, that's that's to me the most interesting aspect of it. Uh, when you look at the fiscal side of it, as we talked about, um, I'm trying to see here um, if there are numbers I can toss out just off the top of my head. Uh, about $500,000 per day is what the scientific estimate was for the entire re- northeast region because that goes from you know restaurants right. that aren't getting food from New Bedford and, sure. and about 240-ish jobs along the east northeast coast. Okay. But that was kind of what was happening then. The interesting thing to me is how it plays into the market. Right. And that is more long-term effect because the idea at first was, oh, this is going to help fishermen that are fishing now because supply and demand. People are going to want this fish and there's going to be one person who can supply it or two people or whoever. And they're going to really make a lot of profit off of it. This band comes down, a person comes in, lands a bunch of haddock, and the price plummeted. He got like nothing for his, his catch. Okay. And that's because consistency, confidence in the market. Right. So if supermarkets or whoever doesn't mm-hmm. know that the fish can be landed every day, if they don't know they can get fresh fish, right. we're going to go to restaurant, New Bedford Restaurant A, whatever you want to sure. call it. If they don't know they can get fresh fish every single day, they can't serve fresh fish on Monday, Wednesday, and then a frozen filet on Thursday, Friday. Right. And because you can't have good and then bad, you have to go what you consistently do, which is frozen. Right. So then they're just going to go frozen all through the week. And even though you have the, fro- the the fresh fish here, bro, I can't take that because 
you can't tell me yeah, you're going to have that every day. Just exact. It has to be almost like on a per special basis, which in the restaurant industry, does, it just means you don't have it very often. Right. And because you plan your market, you plan your menu for a while and grocery right. stores plan their sales. But grocery stores months. especially. Yeah. Like, yeah. So the, the consistency in the market has really, is really what has hurt everyone in the, mar- in the industry, not just the fishermen who are out of business or are sidelined, but the everyone who can still ground fish, the consistency isn't there. And now you look at the fear, as Richie Canastra told me, is will we ever get it back? That's what, and see, that's what I'm most curious about. So maybe you can expand on that thought. Like, is there a possibility that this ban could result in, obviously, like you said earlier, ground fishing is not something young fishermen are getting into. It was on the downfall before this ban. Is there a possibility that at worst case scenario, this ban may have served to at least in New Bedford really sink the market for, is it, how high are the stakes, right? Is it, is there a chance the market never recovers? Is there a chance it's a slow recovery? Is there a chance these fishermen are out of a job moving forward because the market's not consistent? Do we know any of that yet? We don't know it, but in speaking with some people, they're really worried that it might never rebound. Okay. Uh, Richie Kanasha told me last month that, so he said 14 vessels were basically mm-hmm. sidelined he expects half to return when it already when it when everything okay is it so yeah so the ground fish ban was lifted right. so now we're where we are now sure the caveat to that is they can only lease the quota they can't go out and fish okay so uh reason for that being is carlos rafael which this whole thing was yep. started he still owns the vessels and so he they don't want him to fish anymore right so in order for them to fish, they, he has to sell those vessels. And then as soon as he does, they can start they can fishing. Start fishing again. Uh, okay. The idea behind uh, that is because they can start fishing immediately once they're sold, they become more attractive, as, you, as we've talked about. Right. They're not enticing right now to begin with. So if we're just waiting for Noah to approve them that's really hesitant if you're right. a buyer being like well noah's waited eight months why am i gonna jump in now and who knows when and it's not right. very valuable anyways again speaking with richie canastra who he and his brother raymond canastra were in on potentially buying right. carlos Raphael's fleet during the trial i believe it was last year yeah last summer okay for about 93 million dollars he said that he looked at the papers because when you're a buyer you're going to Sure. Let me see what's happening. He said that Carlos's revenue really wasn't there. He was kind of breaking even and when using a lot of the scallop profits to pay for the ground fish to stay afloat. Okay. With the idea, hoping that if ground fish ever picks up again, he's he's the, he he's, at least has the yeah the, he has it all. Okay. Um, the fear is now with the continuing plum, plummeting market or the declining market and less vessels actually going out to fish because with these 14 vessels out, some of the, the crew has gone elsewhere. So right. there's not even any people to man the vessels. Right. How much is it worth? You know, what's, what do you do? And the other, the other layer to this is someone may say, well, what if Carlos Rafael just leases all the quota? Mm-hmm. Why go back? And I've been told that the quota is so voluminous 
that there's not enough vessels to to, to do f- that. Okay. Like the reason why he has so much quota is because he had a lot of vessels. Right. So if there's not a lot of vessels, if we're talking, you know, 14 total, because I think there were seven still remaining and seven return. Okay. There's not enough. To fill the quota. Right. Okay. Well, if they're filling their own quota, you know what I mean? They're already sure, doing what they're sure. doing. And then on top of that, it just wouldn't, wouldn't work out. Okay. So, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, I was told a couple of times by a number of people that if it went on beyond May, then let's just pack up shop and move on. But we're obviously in July and people are still optimistic that something can happen here, that the, the fishery can be saved. And I think they may have been over-dramatizing it a little with that May stuff, but right. we'll see. It, it's, it is interesting. Okay. I have a couple more questions for you. Um, let, let's start with the, the very m- micro level with the fishermen themselves and then move to a bit more macro. Um, at the fishermen level, what were, what were these guys doing during this period? Were, were they just waiting it out? Was there, did they have to get other jobs? I mean, what? It depends. Some qualify for unemployment. Okay. But I think, you know, unemployment's about six months, give or take. Right. Uh, so this was eight months. Uh, some were had to get other jobs. Some, yeah, it, it just kind of depends. Okay. Uh, I've, I haven't been able to confirm, but I've been told by multiple people that uh, at least one fisherman had to, like, sell his house. Okay. Uh, wow. And when trying to get in contact with this person, uh, everyone said, no, he, he wouldn't want to talk to you because, like, there's a pride aspect to it. Sure. So... It, it it really just depends on who, you know, right. they are. I know some people, as you say, when you look at the, the baseline crew member or fisherman, yeah, it, it's tough. Like I said, Richie told me that a bunch of people left and right. found other avenues. And, it, and it's difficult because you're finding other avenues, but it's basically to be a fisherman elsewhere because this is this is right. their craft. This is what they do. Yeah. It's like an electrician that all of a sudden there's a ban on like I don't I don't know like yeah fixing houses or something you know what I mean like yeah and I spoke with the uh, the owner of uh, Jardin and Dawson okay uh, basically a settlement house for the fishermen and does like taxes and everything for mm-hmm. them and the owner she hasn't taken a, a pay a, a paycheck in uh, eight months and she's been really just living off of a single her husband's wow okay salary uh, so to speak and been paying you know, her workers. Cause, uh, and that's something where I think at crystal ice, I spoke with their, um, radars, uh, a bunch of places that are shoreside businesses. Right. They don't want to lay people off because then that person may go get another job because they're right. valuable because they have a lot of training within the commercial fishing industry sure. and you're losing d- decades of experience. Usually the people who work in there have been there for decades. Sure. How are, how are you going to replace that? So they, they really don't, give paychecks to themselves at least that's what they told me so it's something that that's a real issue continuing because as we mentioned there's still not fishing going on right it's just leasing which will it's safe assumption to to guess that it will bring in at least more activity into the port Mm -hmm. but without actual fishing happening how much activity will it be and will it be enough to help these shoreside uh, businesses right and then so sort of my last question is more big picture about the industry. We focused a lot on New Bedford, what was going on with Sector 9. How much did this ground fishing ban affect the entirety of the industry? What was like the haddock prices? Did they sink across the board? Or like I'm not 
too well versed in like how it affected you know mains prices and, and that sure. type of stuff. Uh, it didn't help because Carlos Rafael was one of the biggest right uh, fishermen in the East Coast, if not the. I think he is the the right. the biggest. So it it certainly it hurt, but there's a lot, a lot, a lot of fish. Um, right. Otherwise, you know, he he still didn't. Uh, control a majority or anything like that along sure. the, the eastern seaboard so it yeah it certainly didn't help but it, i think it was um i think it's safe to say that it was kind of a a, a regional like a contained yeah because okay. it, the, there the interesting aspect that you can kind of draw again assumptions is outside of new bedford there really wasn't this um urgency that these vessels need to continue fishing right there was a lot of animosity still because it was a carlos Raphael vessel sure and uh speaking with some of the captains they would say you know even if they were trying to look for jobs they kind of had this scarlet letter on them that they were working for carlos so it was uh so from that aspect it's tough for me to think of it being this huge macro level concern because other ports didn't really show concern that carlos Raphael's vessels weren't fishing. right hard to feel bad for carlos rafael yeah and it really is yeah i mean the dude uh just not a very um a very shrewd business person his impact on i i think it's safe to say and correct me if i'm wrong his impact personally on the fishing industry as a whole was more detrimental than it was positive right if you're if you're able to look big picture sort of remove yourself from the I don't know. It's yeah. difficult to say because some of his captains told me that he wasn't the best person they ever worked for. Right. But he wasn't the worst either. Okay. And he employed a lot of people. He, uh, I mean, like his. Yeah, like 80 fishermen, I suppose, right? Well, yeah. and then when we talk about $500,000 a day, like, so clearly he had, like, you know, whether or not, you know, what was happening, he was leading to a lot of employment on the, sure. the South Coast. I think. He's a super complicated character, and uh, CNBC came here a couple of weeks ago and right. interviewed me about him. And yeah, he's no question a jerk. Uh, he was very bombastic. Sure, he likes to. Um, he's very cocky. He likes to spike the football. You mm-hmm. know, he's not just going to score sure. and hand the ball to the referee. He's going to spike the football, and that really lit a fire in a lot of people and mm-hmm. since he was always on top they could never bring him down and now that he's down you can kind of you know sure. stomp on the grave so to speak uh not saying that's wrong or right or whatever i can completely understand sure. uh and i think that it, that's why i described him as a shrewd business person because i think right. at the end of the day he's a business person and he will he does what the judge said does a lot of things for money uh i know sure. he's one of his things was well, I want to help the city of New Bedford, and New Bedford, and New Bedford is my home, and I want to help these people. But he was caught by trying to sell his fleet, or he thought he was selling his fleet to the Russians. So he wasn't right. selling it to local people. He was selling it to international people. So right. it's tough for me to believe that he really cares about the port when he wasn't. He got caught trying to sell it outside the port. So Sure. So with that being said, I guess just sort of final point, because all of this does sort of come back to Carlos Rafael and his relationship to New Bedford and the New Bedford fishing scene. Do you think in the way that outside sources have sort of covered 
Carlos Rafael. They're doing a good job of articulating how sort of complicated a figure he is, or do you think a lot of it's maybe being painted with a broad brush? It's a, no, that's a great question, especially on the bubble, you know, because we try yeah. to look outside of the bubble. And I think, like anything else, we were just talking earlier, pre-pod, right. uh, off-pod, pre-pod. <laughs> about, you know, nuance. And, you know, sure. there's just sides, and you take the side, and that's what the sides are. And a lot of here, it seems like you're not really getting a true picture of what's happening in mm-hmm. the results in New Bedford, because people outside of new bedford will want to say he's a scumbag he's the worst person in the history of life he cheated he lied right he you know and he did he cheated he lied uh he was uh awful to some people he worked for and Mm -hmm. not as awful to others he was a shrewd sure scrooge type business person you know right uh and then some people here in new bedford uh will agree with a lot of those things, but say, well, I mean, he donated to the Sister Rose house and built that, and he provided a lot of jobs and a lot of economy and, and this and that. So there are horrible aspects to Carlos Rafael, and then there are redeeming qualities to Carlos Rafael, just like any other person. I'm not sure if it's me, my place to judge where he is in the grand scheme of things, but sure. it is my job to present all of the bad things that he did and then you know, the good things that he had done in his past. And then you can kind of judge from there at the end of the day, when you, you know, write out a bad and good list, there may be some more bad qualities on there than good qualities, but, um, yeah, it is what it is. He's a really, really complicated figure. Yeah. I think that's a good place to end it, Mike. Thanks. Uh, thanks for providing some context for an issue that took a long time to develop. Uh, but maybe at times it was pretty frustrating for you because there wasn't much to cover despite the duration of it. Wasn't much to cover from the people who controlled it. I think that was the most frustrating aspect was just a lack of information of what was happening and what could be happening. Right. Well, it'll be interesting to follow. Uh, Make sure you stay up uh, with what Mike is writing about it. Give your, what's at Mike B. Bonner SCT? Boom. Right. Got Got it. it. Nailed it. Yeah, make sure you give Mike a follow. Um, I'm sure he'll be continuing to do more fishing coverage. DMs are still closed. Well, sorry. The DMs are... (laughs) I'm trying, guys. I'm trying. But this has been The Bubble. Uh, He is Mike Bonner. I am Montana Samuels, and we hope you all have his back.